Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy that you were able to tune in with us today. Please stay with us for the whole hour. We have uh, prepared a very interesting study about Jesus, the faithful priest. I'd like to welcome our panel for today. And hello, Ken. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. Always wonderful to be here. Joe, it's good to have you with us also. It's great to be here. Thank you, Nick. Will, thank you for joining. Yes, it's a steep learning curve for me and a privilege. Thank you. And Lija, thank you for joining us again today. Mm, very happy to be part of the panel again. Len, thank you for being part of this panel. Nick, it's good to be alive. And hello, listeners. Praise God for uh, bringing us together. Brenton, it's good to have you with us also. Looking forward to uh, this study. It'll be a really good one. And Helen, last but not least, <laughs> you are our facilitator today. Thank you for preparing for this. I believe very interesting study and welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Nick. And welcome to you, Nick. We seem to lead you out every week, but without you, I'm not sure where we'd be. <laughs> but it is a delight, absolute delight. Uh, it's great to be to be here and be able to study the Bible because these days people are busy to do all sorts of things, but maybe have less time, you know, to look uh, and to dig deep into the um, teachings of the Bible because society functions because of the principles of the Bible. And I think every time when we open the Bible, we are blessed. Helen, I would like to hand it over to you. Please take us through. Thank you so, so much. And thank you, panel, for helping out. I'm saying thank you before the study. We just never know what direction we're going, but we're praying the Holy Spirit will guide and direct us. This week, our study does show us amazing things that God and Jesus did to bridge a gulf of sin. Sin separated us from God, and Christ came to bridge that gulf. And his role, when we will, which we will look at in our study a little later today, has similarities to the human priests of um, the time of Israel, but also differences. Our focus today will be on Hebrews chapter 5, 1 to 10, and chapter 7, 1 to 28, where we'll look at five sections regarding Jesus, Jesus as our high priest. But before we delve any deeper, Brenton, would you pray for us, please? Certainly. Father in heaven, we come before you through Jesus, our high priest. We are so thankful that he is still ministering for us in the heavenly sanctuary and that he is a priest who understands our weaknesses. He understands our failures, our struggles, our triumphs and our joys because he has been there and experienced it all himself. We thank you that we have that power available to us today. We pray that you will bless the study that we are about to undertake. Give Helen, Lord, um, the wisdom of heaven as she leads us through this special study about Jesus, our high priest. We ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brenton. I would actually talk about first, what do we mean by the word priest and what comes to your mind then? Well, there are quite a number of meanings of priest, but they all mean the same thing. A priest is actually kind of a middleman or an agent, or a link man, or an intermediary. And uh, the word actually comes from the Latin pontifex, which means bridge maker. In other words, a priest is somebody who takes on the role 
of linking man and God. Although the priests, the earthly priests, are men and are sinful, and even the high priest Aaron on the Day of Atonement had to make a sacrifice for his own sins. I want to just point something out which I think is very pertinent to some of our listeners because they may go to a priest to get forgiveness and the priest will pronounce that they are forgiven. Now, as far as I can read in the Bible, this is not the case. The priest is actually the one who links them with God and only God can forgive sins because it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, about this forgiving of sins, from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus spoke to both Peter and the disciples, and uh, he said that whatever they bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever they loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And some people have taken this to mean that if they forgive their sins, they are forgiven. If they don't forgive their sins, they're not forgiven. Well, actually, it's not up to the priest to do that. I want to share something. I'll give a direct quote. This is from the Lutheran Divine Service with Holy Communion. And the minister, at one point, in talking about forgiving of sins, he says this, Christ gave to his church the authority to forgive sins of those who repent and to declare to those who do not repent that their sins are not forgiven. No problem, no question. Therefore, upon your confession, I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God to you, to all of you, and on behalf of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. Well, I don't see that as being right. It's not the priest's job to forgive sins. The priest's job is to point people to Christ who can forgive sins, and that's all. I know that we can forgive each other's sins. If uh, if I do something to you and I offend you, I can ask for forgiveness and you can forgive me of that. But these we're talking about big sins. So the priest then is an intermediary between God and man. I'd like to read this part of a quote. According to the Old Testament, the mediating role of the priests involved several important functions. Some of them were related to their role as representatives of God before the people, and other functions were related to their role as representatives of the people before God. One last comment. If you rearrange the letters in the word priest, you can come up with the word stripe. And this reminds me of uh, a policeman or somebody in the army who has a stripe on their shoulders. And this person is the representative in the case of police between the law and the people and the soldier, a representative of the people for freedom, I suppose. I could go into that a lot more, but I won't. A priest is an intermediary, a link man. Thank you very much, Len. And, of course, today we're talking about the Old Testament priests. We're talking about um, Jesus as our high priest. But in Hebrews 5, 1 to 4, we actually find 12 qualities of a high priest listed. 
And, you know, I thought about those and we, and I was thinking, do we list all those 12 qualities as we are on a time schedule? I thought, well, maybe, um, if you listener would like to look at Hebrews 1, 1, 4 and find them, that would be a good study too. But in Hebrews 5, 5 to 7, Paul then introduces Jesus as our heavenly priest, our representative before the Father, a high priest. But how is this possible? You know, the priests had to be members of a particular tribe. It was God that called the Old Testament priests together. And, um, Joe, was Jesus of the same tribe? Well, the short answer, Helen, is no. Jesus belonged to the tribe of Judah, not the priestly tribe of Levi. And anyone up until then, it was a prerequisite that every priest, especially the high priest, be of the tribe of Levi. Um, The tribe of Judah was unheard of as a source of priests. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's a short answer, but we're going to discuss it in a little while, the lineage of Jesus as well. But thank you. Okay, because it it does beg a question. How how did Jesus become our high priest? Okay, Um, Lydia, can you share us the job description, please, of the earthly priests? It's found in Hebrews 5, uh, 1 to 4. Um, first of all, I would like to point the fact that it says here in uh, Hebrew chapter 5, verse 1 uh, till verse 4, I'm going to read. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So first of all, it says that the high priest is selected from among men, and appointed to represent them in matters related to God. So this, uh, and in verse 4, also it says that he must be called by God. So this selection is made by God, and uh, God is choosing and selecting priests, because the priest is a high calling. Also, he has to be able to deal gently with those who are ignorant so it means he has the ability to maintain his emotions. And um, also it says here that he himself is subject to weakness. And um, also he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins and for the people. Thank you, Lydia. When you were going through that, I couldn't help thinking of what we consider modern day priests and but I'm talking about ministers you know from which wherever um it is a calling for that position it's a calling from god and we are all subject to weakness we need to maintain our emotions and we need to be united with um the human family yes uh, nick just uh, adding uh, helen there in regard to the calling to this ministry of, of priesthood now, um, we mentioned just uh, a couple of programs ago that we are all a royal priesthood. And uh, it's important then uh, how we 
act or how we behave and how we represent uh, Jesus. Because Len mentioned that uh, the priest is called to intermediate or represent uh, God. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have big question marks in regard to the priesthood today. Even ministers and traditional priests, let's say this, I find out uh, in my discussions with some that they look at this as pretty much as a job rather than as a call, you know, from God. And uh, we can find ourselves, or even ministers and priests can find themselves in that routinely position, you know, just doing their job rather than uh, to be called by God. And I heard these things, and I, I don't want to upset anybody, but I heard these things that you cannot call me, it's after hours, you know, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, I cannot answer the, the call, call me during the hours. We have to clarify this thing because uh, this is a great responsibility and it's a calling. And uh, yeah, I, I probably I should say we, we should not treat this calling just as a... Likely. Yeah, likely. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I wouldn't want yeah. to say too, uh, much more than that. But look, that's something, a reality which I face myself. Thank you, Nick. I just call into question one word. I, I, I don't know anyone that treats it like a joke, but I think the word would probably be likely, you know, and I think you, you've clarified that quite well. Len, you wanted to say something and then Brenton. Yes, well, I've read um, quite a bit of the history of the Reformation and of Martin Luther who served as a priest. He, one time, because he had some personal problems with what he was being a priest of, and he was uh, given a, well, he went to Rome, and this really bothered him very much, because there amongst the priests he was mingling with in Rome, he found that they were not true to their calling. They were doing stuff which was very unpriestlike. Often they were drunk, they would be taking services while they were drunk and this kind of thing. It bothered Martin Luther very much. Now, I believe Martin Luther had a, a heart toward God and because of that, uh, this was one of the reasons why he broke with the Mother Church at the time, the Roman Catholic Church I'm referring to, and he stepped out on his own. He didn't really want to be separated from the church. What he wanted was reforms within the church, and particularly the priesthood. So part of a priest's responsibilities is to be an example, an example of holiness to the people that the priest serves. Thank you, Len. Brenton. Helen, I've just seen something as Lydia was reading these texts, which... Um, occurred to me that might be helpful in our discussion. Today, ministers and priests, even even in the society in which we live, are generally held in fairly high regard. Those churches who have priests, the priest is usually held in fairly high regard. And uh, certainly culturally, in even in our church, um, many uh, culturally um, place the minister on a very, very high pedestal. I believe in reading um, Hebrews 5, verse 1 to 4, this points out that those of us who minister on behalf of others are weak, sinful human beings just as they are. All I'm saying is this, 
I believe that any kudos that may come to us from church members or from parishioners because of our status as either a priest or a minister is probably undeserved. We need to recognise that in Christ's sight, we are sinful human beings ministering on behalf of others, but we too have the same things. I believe if if this view was um, taken into account more within churches and within parishes, I believe it might lead to a better understanding of the priest or minister being able to minister to his or her congregation. I, I just happen to think that um, sometimes too much emphasis is placed on the position of this person whilst we are representing God uh, to the people we too are sinful. This is why this study is so important because Christ had to understand through experience what we understand through experience. Thank you, Brenton. Very important. I think we need to remember that the position of priest or ministers is a very, very high responsibility. But I think we also need to remember how the Lord took a towel and washed his disciples' feet. And so there is the humility that we all need. Will, you wanted to say something. It's just a comment that the ground is really level at the cross. So important to remember, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank you for those comments. Okay, let's move on. In Hebrews 5, we'll look at 5 to 10. Paul introduces Jesus as our heavenly high priest or our representative before the Father. Ken, we see here that Jesus is the merciful mediator. Would you like to share some thoughts with us, please? Well, as we have heard, Helen, the role of the high priest was to mediate between sinful man and God. In Hebrews 5.5, Paul shows us that Jesus perfectly fulfills these purposes. God appointed him, and Jesus understands us because he also had suffered. There are some important differences, however. Jesus was not chosen from among men. Instead, Jesus adopted human nature in order, among other things, to serve as a priest on our behalf. Jesus did not offer sacrifices for his own sins, for only our sins, because he was sinless. Hebrews says that Jesus prayed to him who was able to save him from death and was heard. Again, this is referring to the second death from which God saved Jesus when he was resurrected. Now, Jesus' suffering and death on the cross are an essential part of his priestly ministry. Suffering did not make him merciful. To the contrary, Jesus came to earth because he always was merciful, which is why he had compassion on us. What Hebrews means is that it was through suffering that the reality of Jesus' brotherly love, the authenticity of his human nature, and the depth of his submission as representatives of humanity to the will of the Father were truly expressed and revealed. He was perfected in the sense that his suffering qualified him to be our high priest. It was his life of perfect obedience and then his death on the cross that contributed the sacrificial offering that Jesus presented before the Father as our priest. To sum this up, there is only one mediator between man and God who God will accept, and that is Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, this is a very important point. The Bible makes it crystal clear that no one comes to God except through Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Ken. That's a lot for us to think about, isn't it? 
we're going to go on. We, you know, we're, we're looking at the role of Jesus as high priest, but want to look at his lineage. Now, before we do that, I think, Glenn, you have something you want to say? Yes. It's very interesting that on the day when, uh, uh, on the weekend, when Christ was sacrificed, many of the Old Testament feasts and festivals all came together on that particular day. And this makes me think about Jesus himself, how he has completed and been involved in many different roles. He is our saviour. He's our sacrifice. He is our God. He is our mediator. He's our judge. And he's our high priest. All these different roles involved in the one person. When you were saying those things, I came to mind a diamond. And um, Jesus was like a diamond with many facets, you know, that his glory shone through. Okay, we're looking at the lineage of Jesus now, and um, there was something mentioned about the order of Melchizedek when we read in Scripture. Well, this is an interesting topic, and I would like you, please, to show us where Jesus fits into this, please. Thank you, Helen. I think I need a month, but, <laughs> but let me read uh, let me read the two main references to uh, Melchizedek. Um, and that is in Genesis 14 and Hebrews 7. Genesis 14, uh, a little bit of background. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then, and this is a key part, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So Abraham pays a tithe to Melchizedek. Um, verse 7 of uh, chapter 7 of Hebrews says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham also gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life, but uh, made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Here we have a mass of, and a deep thing to consider. Without mother, without father, without descent, what on earth could this all mean? And of course, scholars have struggled with this for a long time. Um, let me just quickly go back and say that Abraham is, is returning from a war with the kings of Canaan who uh, took and raided um, Lot and many of the men in Sodom. And Abraham proceeds to rescue them with a group of only 318 men. He frees the hostages from the large armies of all these kings and then in gratitude, he brings, it's Abraham, brings the loot 
to Melchizedek, the priest, as a, as a tithe. Now, I'll admit that there is a mysterious silence in the scriptures about uh, this Melchizedek, his birth, death, and genealogy. We know that he unusually holds both the office of king, the king of Salem or Jerusalem, and he's a priest, which is unusual. He was superior to Abraham and the entire Levitical priesthood because he is entitled to receive tithes from the patriarch. He appears and disappears from history, and we have to resort to the commentary of the Apostle Paul to learn as much as we can about him. I want to just emphasize that he cannot be Christ himself appearing in human form. Otherwise, the whole message of Hebrews just doesn't make sense. He's also not uh, some uh, heavenly being. But what Bible scholars have to conclude is that he is a real person who is a symbol of Christ's high priestly ministry in that Jesus himself was both king and high priest. In fact, even more unusually, Jesus holds three offices, unlike anyone else, his prophet, priest, and king. Now, the priesthood of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, depended strictly on keeping a very careful record of genealogies. Uh, Because you had to be a member of the tribe of Levi in order to be a priest, the Bible says Melchizedek was from a different order. And hence, it's not based on the family tree, the Levitical priesthood model. The possible identity of Melchizedek is extremely tricky. And time doesn't allow us, of course, to go into a full investigation here. But it's just as important for us to know that he prefigures Christ's high priestly ministry in that Jesus Christ is our uh, mediator. And I, I think we kind of have to leave it there. May I just quickly point out that the very name Melchizedek comes from two Hebrew words, the word melech, which means king, and the word sadech, which means righteousness. So the name actually means king of righteousness. And according to the New Testament, who is our king of righteousness? Christ, our righteousness. So there's a very close association between this mysterious figure, Melchizedek, and Jesus Christ, our high priest. I think that's as much as I'd like to say at this time. Thank you, Will. You did it in less than a month. Thank you for that. Um, it's, It's interesting when you look at it that Melchizedek was a type. It was a typology, wasn't it? But, Len, you wanted to comment. Well, I'm really only going to repeat something that Will has said, but I think it's worthy of repetition. There were in the uh, Aaronic or the Levitical priesthood, none of those priests were kings. And Will rightly pointed out that Melchizedek was a king as well as being a priest. Now, we don't know a lot about him, but he's called the king of righteousness and the king of Salem. Um, There has only been Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, prior to Christ being king and priest. So no wonder the Apostle Paul uh, speaks of Christ in his heavenly role now as being after the order 
of Melchizedek, both king and priest, but not from the Aaronic line. Thank you so much, Len. Nick, you wanted to say something. Yeah, just very quickly on uh, this uh, aspect. I mean, the similarities, because that's probably what the book of Hebrew is uh, touching on, that in the likeness of uh, Melchizedek or, uh, yeah, like Melchizedek. You see, the Bible doesn't give us information about uh, Melchizedek, you know, uh, not genealogy, not without mother, without father and all those things, you know, and um, not much said about uh, about him that also points out that jesus christ you know doesn't have a beginning and that's very important to for us to realize that we have a priest or a high priest not like the priests of this world uh, but the one who's from from eternity and um, will be with us for eternity and that's i think very significant point just to to take on board Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. Now, Ken, I think you have something you want to share with us. Yes, just wanted to say that it was Christ who spoke through Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek was not Christ, but he was the voice of God in the world, the representative of the Father. And all through the generations of the past, Christ has spoken. Christ has led his people and has been the light of the world. Now, as we've heard, uh, Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. And Hebrews 7.15 explains that Jesus was priest in the likeness of Melchizedek. Jesus was not a successor of Melchizedek, but his priesthood was very similar to his. So true. Right. Um, Hebrews 7 verse 12. Let's have a quick look at that. There was a change of priesthood and it made a change in the law necessary. Joe, could you explain why this happened? Well, perhaps if I, it's interesting that you should raise about a change in the law necessary. But if we read those texts that you've mentioned, Hebrews 7, 11 to 16, it says, if perfection, and the Greek word there is teleosis, which means completion or fulfillment of the plan and purpose of God. So if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one of the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. And verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. Verse 13, he of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, I think we've covered that, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible, endless life. Now, there is so much in there. This could take two months, Will. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I'd like to... Just mention something about the indestructible life, Jesus, his superiority as the priest here. I'd like to quote someone. It says, in him whom is life, original, unborrowed, underived. John tells us that in him was life and that life was the light of men. One who is far, far superior, who the types and shadows pointed to, but now he has come under the order of Melchizedek. 
Now, some people might say, okay, well, the law. Well, law is mentioned about three times I've got highlighted here. Indeed, the Lord was given to people, um, to the people established that priesthood. And we know that Leviticus tells us that they were to come from the Levites. And we've had instances in the Old Testament where people have tried to usurp that, that law and have come to ruin. And in fact, there is one instance where the ground just opened up and swallowed them and the, their families and all their possessions because they dared to challenge Moses um, on the priesthood point. And then it says, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. Now, some people might go, oh, there you go. There you go. The law is being changed. It's being done away with. We don't, we are not bound by the law. The Ten Commandments are no longer valid. They're no longer important. But this is not the law that is being spoken of here because it's clear that the law established the priesthood. They were the laws, ceremonial laws and rules about governing the sacrifices, the, the uh, temple system. And so when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. It doesn't refer to the Ten Commandments because Jesus himself said that not one jot or tittle will in no way pass from the law. And so it can't be that. So what was changing here? It was changing that the fact that the priesthood no longer, in fact, the whole the sacrificial system, the Levitical system passed away. The ceremonial system passed away because it was all fulfilled in Christ. And then, of course, in verse 16, um, you know, it refers to that he has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry. So we have regulations, laws, and they all refer to ceremonial laws, to priest, Levitical earthly priests priesthoods rather than the law as we know it, the immutable moral law of the Ten Commandments. So there's a a little paragraph I'd like to read, which I think sums it up beautifully and explains that the change of priesthood made a change in the law necessary because there was, as we have mentioned, a very strict law that prohibited a person who was not in the line of Levi through Aaron from serving as a priest. And we know that What we have just read in Hebrews 13 and 14 explains that Jesus was from the line of Judah, and so this law prohibited him from being a Levitical priest. Paul argues that the appointment of Jesus as priest meant God has changed the law of the priesthood. Jesus' coming also implied a change in the law of sacrifices. Sinners were required to bring different kinds of sacrifices to obtain atonement. But now that Jesus has come and offered a perfect sacrifice, the law of animal sacrifices also has been put aside. All these ceremonial laws are done away with. As a result of the new covenant and the fuller revelation of the plan, so as far as the law is concerned, which was part of of your question, referred to here is not the Ten Commandments, um, as much as some people would like to think that, Jesus said, as we've already, I've already mentioned, not one or one dot or tittle will pass. That means not even one little inflection, one little dot is going to pass. So I don't know. I think I've kind of summed it up that it is it, the law referred to as a ceremonial law, not um, as some might claim the God's moral law.
Brilliant comment, uh, Joe. Yes, I think you summed that exceptionally well. Summed that up. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Okay, Lydia, w- would you find or have you found anywhere in Scripture where it tells us that Jesus or indicates that Jesus is an eternal priest? Uh, yes, there are quite few uh, passages in the Bible, but I would like to mention Psalm 110, verse 4, where it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And if we read in Hebrew 7, verse 3, it says that he is a priest forever. And in verse in chapter 7, verse 17, again, is mentioning you are a priest forever. So, yes, Jesus is an eternal priest. Well, thank you for that. We should all be saying hallelujah, amen. Amen. <laughs> Because, you know, if he wasn't, we'd be in dire straits, wouldn't we? Okay, so far we've looked at the role of Jesus as a priest, his lineage, and now his right in changing the law covered by by Joe. But we're going to move on to what I've got down as his regulation uh, regarding a better covenant. So, Brenton, we're going to hand this on over to you. Thank you. Well, Hebrews 7, 17 to 22 actually says some interesting things. I will read it, I think, Helen, rather than just summarise it. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent you or a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become surety of a better covenant. Summarising that and also what Hebrews 8, 7 to 13 says is this. The law itself, Paul points out in Romans, is not faulty never was, never will be. What the law was inadequate or unable to do was save anybody. It simply pointed out that this was the law and that you've broken it. Now, what Christ did, a human priest, as Len pointed out earlier in our study, on the Day of Atonement, the first thing the high priest had to do before he even went into the holy place, followed by the most holy place, the first thing he had to do was offer a sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of his family. Now, Christ said at the Last Supper, when he handed around the bread and the wine, he said, take this and drink it. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. So an imperfect sacrifice offered by a human priest, whilst it would Um, cover the forgiveness of the person's sins, at the end of the year, the Day of Atonement came when all the sins were transferred to the sanctuary and then ultimately to Azazel. But when Christ died on Calvary, his death and the shedding of his blood instituted a new covenant. It was based on better promises because the person doing it was sinless. The sinless one took upon himself all of the sins. We can't really understand that, Helen, but he did do that. And because of that, we are told in Hebrews regularly that we can come confidently into his presence. 
And I think uh, the good news of these verses is the vast superiority of Christ's high priesthood as compared with the human high priesthood, but the distinguishing factor above all things is that the human priest was sinful. The high priest in our heavenly sanctuary, Christ Jesus, was sinless. But he had to go through uh, the experiences that we've touched on, I believe, in order to experience. It's one thing to be omniscient, in other words, all-knowing, but you can be all-knowing, but unless you've actually been through the experiences yourself, you don't totally understand. Christ had to, he had to go through these experiences himself to understand what we have, we go through day by day. Therefore, there is no one more, more eminently qualified to represent us before God the Father than the one who has been through these things himself that he had to learn by experience and if we ask him he says i will give you my perfect life in place of your imperfect one i reckon this is an absolutely wonderful study and this aspect of it is um, is uh, one can only praise the lord and say thank you lord that we have a high priest who not only understands on an intellectual level he understands us on an experiential level now, I think that's so important. Amen. Thank you so much. And you're quite right. This is, it's a deep study. We can go a lot deeper, but it's such an important one. Thank you, Brenton. Len, you wanted to say something. Yes. Some people might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? I would like to point out that the big deal is this. And it's uh, not a text that we have read yet in Hebrews chapter 7. It's Hebrews 7 verse 25 which says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to to God through him. Yes. Because he always lives to make intercession for them. So not only is he priest and king, but he is priest and saviour. That's the big deal. Thank you, Len. That's so, so important. Will. Melchizedek is identified even closer to Christ. I wonder if you noticed that when we read about Abraham meeting Melchizedek, that Melchizedek first offered Abraham bread and water. Um, And that's exactly, as Brenton has just uh, commented, that's exactly what was instituted at uh, the communion service. So there's there's a close connection here. Thank you. That's uh, that's thought provoking. Thank you, Will. Yes, Nick. And just, just very quickly, I was going to actually mention the same uh, verse which Len just uh, uh, brought it up from uh, chapter seven, verse twenty-five. But it's it's very important to realize this that uh, we are we have now access to the um, high priest to our Lord Jesus Christ, not temporarily, you know. Um, and this is an amazing thought because many people, they rely on the relationship with the priesthood, you know, how you go to church, if you can go and bring all the offerings and all other things. But in this context, we have a permanent, if you like, connection with um, our high priest. Thank you. Our final section that we're going to look quickly at today, equally important, is about the character of Jesus. The per- we've mentioned perfect sinless priest. 
But if we read from Hebrews 7, 26, I think it is. Has anybody got that there can read it for me, please? Hebrews 7, 26. Yes, I can read it for you. Thank you, Will. Such an high priest truly meets our need. The one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That is Hebrews seven twenty six. That's beautiful. Thank you, Will. Well, it mentions there, I don't know if people, if, um, listener, you've picked it up, but there were five characteristics of Jesus mentioned here. So I'm going to ask the panel if they could share a word that was there and please just a, a brief explanation. And uh, if you can follow one after the other, maybe, Len, you could kick us off with that. Thanks. Well, the first characteristic mention was the fact that he is holy. If he was unholy, he wouldn't be much of a high priest, but he is holy. And holy means sacred. He's above the common. He is godlike. Well, he is because he is also God. So the first characteristic is holy. And I would like to say this personally, if he was unholy, he wouldn't be my high priest. I'd just like to slip in there and say yes. Um, when, when the word holiness mean, and, and the Lord says that we need to be holy as as God is holy. And and when we look at that, we think, wow. But, you know, we do God's will by following him completely, and that's what, what they were coming at. And uh, Lydia, the next one, what was the next one that was mentioned, please? Yes, the second characteristic is uh, blameless in my NIV version or harmless. It means he's not evil or vengeful. He always does good to others and doesn't ever think badly about others wow (laughs) he certainly is a high priest for that ken well one of the other things he is undefiled now jesus was you could say a hundred percent pure there was no spot or blemish on or in him he was sinless in all that he did even though he was tempted the whole time he was on earth in other words he is the perfect he is perfect as only god is Now, this makes him ultra-super special. And what's so wonderful about that is, as we have have heard, he is our representative in heaven for us who are on earth. And he's totally blameless and totally accepted by God in all respects. Thank you, Ken. So he was tempted. Did he give in to temptation like we do? He was tempted in all points. Yes. But yet without what? Without sin. Without sin, absolutely, and praise God for that. Brenton, did you want to make a comment? Oh, just very, very, very quickly on this one. It is worthwhile, and I would recommend it to our listeners, to spend some time reading the three temptations of Christ, making the stones into bread, throwing himself from the pinnacle of the temple, and uh, being offered the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship Satan. The key thing, some people really get themselves wound up in these temptations, but the key thing in all of them was Satan was trying to break his relationship with his heavenly father. He said that I came to do nothing of myself. Any power that Christ exercised on earth was the power of his father working through him. And the temptations were all predicated around one thing, using your divine power in order to do what it was that Satan was tempting you to do. We don't face that. So when 
we read things like he was tempted in all points like as we are, we need to be careful in um, ascertaining exactly what that means. But primarily above all things, it means if we're in the desert starving to death, we couldn't turn to the stones and make them into bread. Christ could. And so therefore the temptations that he faced and conquered were so much higher than we will ever face. But what we can learn from his temptations, I believe, as Ken mentioned, is this. He was tempted in all points yet without sin, but he offers us that power when we are tempted. There's never going to be a time in our lives when we're not tempted. We cannot avoid temptation per se. There will always be temptation, but if we are in a right relationship with the Lord, I believe we can ask for that power that he used in the wilderness of temptation to overcome temptation when it comes to us. And James talks about this, as you know, he defines what temptation is. Hmm. Amen. And we know that he will give us that power. Yes, yes Nick. Yes. Very quickly, we mentioned those words that, uh, and Lija, particularly from verse uh, 26, saying that he is holy, you know, harmless and uh, not vengeful and all those things. The question mark is that then the earthly priests, uh, are they more like, you know, uh, <laughs> we, vengeful and uh, all, all other things? Um, you know, see, because we are humans and I would like to also link this. I mentioned a bit earlier about God's children. They are regarded as a holy, uh, holy nation, you know, a, a, a royal priesthood. And you see, those attributes are very important to take on board ourselves, you know, not to live a life with all those uh, things which we mentioned, you know, to, but to be holy. Holy means to live a, a life in the light of our priest, our high priest, Jesus Christ, because so easily we can excuse ourselves and act in, in such a way that we misrepresent God. Thank you, Nick. Our last two points from, from that um, Hebrews 7.26, it actually, this is the separation part. You know, you're quite right with the, the priests and, and people today. But, Joe, can you take, tell us what number four is that was mentioned, please? Well, Helen, it mentions that he was, um, he was separate. Um, just looking up the text right now. He was holy, as we've mentioned, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. And I guess, in a sense, he is because he ascended and intercedes on our behalf. However, this the separation is not one of like, I can't come close to you because I might become contaminated um, or become dirty. And that's, that's where we could easily slip into that thinking that we were too unclean for Jesus because we know that when Jesus came in humanity, he just dived right in. And mingled. He did not feel revulsion from being among us, among humanity. He came gladly and he died gladly. What I think it is saying is that while Jesus was one with us and loves the sinner, he does not love sin. That's a bit different to us. That's a bit different to us. While he took on our fallen humanity and was tempted in all points, as has been mentioned, he never gave in to sin. He was Without, or he is without a taint of sin. He did not participate in sin. Has nothing in common with the carnal mind. 
does not have the desires of the sinful mind, while he sympathizes with us, with the sinner, there is no sympathy with sin or for sin. So in this sense, he is separate, distinct, apart from sinners. Um, and this is not a reflection of how he sees sinners, as we know he loves and died to redeem us. I think that text in itself, you know, uh, verse 26, is contrasting Jesus with the earthly ministry, the earthly high priests. Which high priest could you say was holy? Which one could you say was blameless or pure or set apart? They were all faulty. The whole system served its purpose but had its flaws. And so Jesus here, the writer of Hebrews, who I believe <laughs> sounds very Paul, Paul to me at times, is contrasting the earthly system to Jesus and Jesus' ministry. And I think that was his point. Um, you know, one is far, far superior, far better. Why would you want to go back to the old system when, when there's something so perfect before us? Thank you, Joe. When you were saying, you know, separate from sinners, I'm so glad that you brought out what you did bring out. It reminds me of the text in Romans where it says, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Then you wanted to quickly say something? Yes, a quick statement. The t- what it says in that verse doesn't say separate from man. It says separate from sinners. In other words, Jesus was sinless. All the rest of us have sinned. Thank you. Will? Yes, the last characteristic um, of our great high priest, according to Hebrews 7.26 there, Helen, is he has become higher than the heavens. You know, he's exalted above everything. He's like God. In fact, as creator and saviour, he actually shares the throne of God. In fact, so exalted that I recall in John's vision on Patmos in Revelation, They seek one in the highest authority in the vision who is able to loosen seven seals and to open a scroll unveiling the future. And, you know, they could find no one. And then Jesus appears who is worthy and exalted above everyone else. And he comes to open the scroll. And I think that the listener can refer to this beautiful account in Revelation chapter 5. He has become higher than the heavens. Thank you so much, Will. We're going to wrap up now with just a couple of texts, if we may. Uh, Brenton, would you please read Psalm 108.5? Let's exalt Christ. Certainly. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and your glory above all the earth. Uh, just um, It's a, just a brief text, but let me say this. When Christ ascended to heaven, he commenced a new aspect of his ministry. When it says he sat down at the right hand of God, uh, as it did in Hebrews 1 when we started these studies a few weeks ago, it indicates a completed work. The work of dying on the cross for our sins was complete. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. He sat at the right hand of God. We would say today, using common parlance, mission accomplished. However, the benefits of his ministry had to be applied. And this is where the priesthood of Christ comes in. In other words, what took place in the Old Testament had to be replicated in the New Testament with a perfect priesthood, a perfect priest, a perfect sacrifice, and a perfect understanding 
of how his blood can be um, transferred to us, how how the benefits of his sacrifice can be transferred to us. So I believe um, when uh, Will mentioned Revelation 5, there's also an interesting text in Revelation that talks about how Christ has a new name and only he knows the name. I believe the name is related to his relationship to the human race and related to what he did on Calvary for us. We don't know what that name is. But it's, uh, I think it's very significant when you read this text, be exalted, O God, in the heavens. All heaven must have been so excited when Christ returned from this earth and began a new aspect of his ministry. To see the benefits of Christ's ministry being applied to us sinful, faulty human beings by heavenly, sinless angels must have been an absolute marvel. And I think, that that, I think that that's something for us to think about as we just dwell on this little text, um, Psalm 108.5. Thank you, Brenton. And the final text, please, Len, Psalm 57.5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. Amen. I know that um, time has got away from us. Uh, I would like to share just one quote from a beautiful writer, one of my favourite writers, Ellen White, and she says, Christ is the connecting link between God and man. He has promised his personal intercession. He places the whole virtue of his righteousness on the side of the suppliant. And as we approach God through the virtue of the Redeemer's merits, Christ places us close by his side, encircling us with his human arm while his divine arm, he grasps the throne of the infinite. He promised us to hear and answer our supplications. I want to say thank you to the panel today um, for your contribution. And Will, would you close with prayer, please? Certainly. Lord, we might easily, we might easily despair in our quest to understand the deeper things about our God and the profound truths of your word, that we pray that you will keep our focus on your sovereignty, your grace, and your great gift of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us and to usher us into eternal life. Thank you for so great a salvation in and through Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today and sharing on this uh, wonderful topic, uh, Jesus the Faithful Priest. We are inviting you uh, to join us again next time when we are um, going to look at uh, Jesus the Anchor of the Soul. But if you like to be part of uh, some of these discussions, why not to visit one of our churches in your area, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and join on a Saturday morning, usually from uh, 10 o'clock or 9.30, your time, and be part of some of these discussions. It's a, a privilege to study this all over the world uh, on the same topic, and we invite you to be part of this if you like, just search for Seventh-day Adventist Church in your area and join on Saturday morning and you'll be blessed. Until then, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.